Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project, and welcome back. I'm Ron Steslow. It's time for another State of the Vote episode, where once per week, we'll update you on the national political map as voters around the country cast their ballots. This election is unlike any other in history because of the record number of ballots that are being cast by mail. So although we're conditioned to think that Election Day is a one-time event that happens on a single day of the year, people are voting right now. In fact, people are already voting in mail-in states like Florida, Georgia, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. And this week, ballots will be mailed in Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Montana, and Ohio. Joining me today is Lincoln Project co-founder and former political director of the California Republican Party, Mike. I eat numbers for breakfast, Madrid. It's so great to have you back, Mike. <laughs> great to be with you. That's going to be my Twitter profile. It now. really should be. Yeah. <laughs> and Lincoln Project co-founder, legendary ad maker, New York Times bestselling author, a former Florida field director for the George H.W. Bush campaign, and Florida man himself, Rick Wilson. Rick, it's great to have you back on. Hey, Ron. How are you? I'm doing good. Gentlemen, mail-in ballots are out in most states. We'll begin to see early in-person voting really take off this week. Mike, why don't we start with you to run through the trends we're seeing on the national map that voters should be watching? Let's just do a battleground update. Sure. From the 30,000-foot level, the battlefield map continues to expand. You're now seeing states like Georgia move into a very competitive position for Joe Biden, who just a couple months ago was in probably a negative two position on the rolling averages is now in a plus two position. So let me say that again. Joe Biden is plus two in Georgia. Um, Texas, we might need to talk a little bit about Texas on this podcast. Rick and I have been banting about quite a bit over the past few days. Texas is in contention, folks. It's a real thing. I'm not saying that there's a probability that uh, Biden wins, but the possibilities keep getting better. Um, Iowa moves into contention. Ohio is starting to move outside the margin of error. So look, there are no states that seem to be moving in the pro-Trump direction at this point. And while Biden is not really putting a whole lot of the battlefield uh, seats or states away, the more that come into contention, the more the probability becomes uh, more difficult for Donald Trump because he has to win all of these states that he won before in 2016 and pull the inside straight that he pulled uh, back in 2016 as well. So He's fighting on a, on multi multi um, fronts, many number, a lot of fronts, lots of fronts, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> and uh, and um, the numbers and the base uh, support levels from his core constituencies seem to continue to deteriorate. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the who, what, why's, where's, and when's, but from thirty thousand foot level, um, more states in play, margins getting bigger in some of these red states for Biden. Um, close races still in the battlegrounds, Great Lakes, Rust Belt states, and then Florida. Yeah. Okay. But before we get to Florida, I want to talk about Wisconsin for a minute. And actually, before we get to Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. can you just, you know, Texas is like the shiny object, right? And has been. And since you already brought it up, can you just for our listeners explain, first of all, why Texas looks close, but also why it's 
you know, the football that Lucy keeps pulling away from Charlie Brown. Yeah. Why, why, why are we always cautioned to, you know, not read too much into the numbers in Texas? Yeah. And so you look as a Californian for the past 20 years, I've been, you know, both speaking and writing extensively about why these two states that look virtually identical demographically, same number percentage of Latino voters, same percentages of white voters, same percentages of other constituencies, similar economies. So da, 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 da. One is ruby red, right? And one is, is a deep shade of blue. Well, why is that? The answer uh, to that question is really white voters in California split 50-50. Coastal whites are very, very progressive. Inland whites in California are very conservative. In Texas, it's basically all inland whites. They have all up until uh, recently voted very conservatively. White, a white voter was a very conservative voter. But if you look at the, the vote trajectory, starting with John McCain, uh, you know, who won it by like 16 points, Romney brings it down to like 11 or 12. Then you start to see the Beto O'Rourke's who brings it down to two and a half um, behind Ted Cruz. The trajectory has been there. And what's driving it is the changing white electorate. I think Democrats have found this as that shiny object or fool's gold because they've always been saying, well, if we just get Latino turnout, but highest enough levels, then yeah, we could flip it. And yeah, that's true. But in the Southwestern states, California, Arizona, you know, Nevada, this has been a very tricky turnout uh, demographic and Texas is no exception. So look, I think we're going to have a historic turnout uh, with every group. Certainly Hispanics. Hispanics will be the second largest voting block behind whites for the first time in American history this November, surpassing black voters. But there is this pesky little problem. You know, the, uh, Hispanics in, in Texas, um, and I've been working with Hispanics in Texas since 2000, um, are vote, they're a little Trumpier than we would like right now. And if they were not, if they were more in the California, Arizona range, you would see Biden up three, four, five points. The question becomes, can we get that, correct that range, and also move this growing white electorate, especially college-educated whites, this famous group that you and I have been talking about since probably January of this year. And so Texas meets the criteria of having enough college-educated whites, enough Hispanic voters in a historic turnout year, and this COVID, pesky COVID situation that really pushed senior citizens over the edge. Yeah. That's kind of the holy trinity of what the Lincoln Project looks at in the Sun Belt to say, go, go, go. Yeah. And so yeah. we're looking really, really close at Texas. Which is saying something for a group of Republicans looking to flip the state, mm -hmm. looking closely at Texas of all places. Um, right, Rick? We keep debating our own experience and our own instincts of 30 years and the data. With the data yeah. saying go, the experience right. saying, hold on a second. No, no, on, no. On, the one hand, we're, on the one hand, we're all these data-driven empiricists and we're like, right. the numbers are not lying to us. Our stats are good. Our polling model is good. Right. And then everything else is like, no, <laughs> no, don't do that. What? Don't do that. No. Yeah. Okay. And, and one more thing before we get to Florida, uh, because we're going to spend some time on Florida here. Because it's going to be obviously they, because ballots are going out right now, but also because it's going to be so crucial crucial in the election um, on election night. But let's take a look at Wisconsin quickly, uh, Mike, because we've seen a surge in COVID nineteen cases in Wisconsin uh, last week. Wisconsin witnessed their highest single day death toll in the state. Mark Kaufman, the chief medical officer of the Wisconsin Hospital Association, told NPR that it's going to be a rocky two or three months. So. Given that we have been tracking Trump's downward uh, pressure in his numbers uh, through all of the states where COVID tends to spike, um, 
And, and that is the number one issue that has been moving the college educated white Republican voters that we've been, that we've been focusing on. How do you think a coronavirus surge could impact the vote in a state like Wisconsin? It's a great question. And I think that if history is any guide and there's no reason why it should not be, you're going to see a widening between Biden, who has consistently held about an eight point average uh, distance ahead of, of Donald Trump in Wisconsin. Wisconsin has had a very strong floor of support for Joe Biden, sitting at about a 48 or 49. That's a very good place to be sitting. And he's been there since about April or March, mm-hmm. okay? Back mm-hmm. when it was just a generic Democrat, when they didn't even have their nominee, it was like people are voting against Donald Trump. Wisconsin has a high percentage of white college-educated voters, especially for the Great Lakes, Rust Belt region. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with th- that consistency, that's demographic, coupled with this this dramatically increasing spike in Wisconsin, which frankly really scares me. It's it's not pretty. Wisconsin's yeah. catching on fire right yeah. now. Yeah. And we I was actually literally on the phone just about an hour ago with three Wisconsin leaders involved with the Lincoln Project who are saying, anywhere you look on local media, it's all hospitals starting to get filling up right now. We're not, we're not even at the peak of the virus's life. It's going to be very bad in Wisconsin. And if history is a guide, I think you're going to continue to see those numbers drop yeah. in a way that I think is going to be politically now, politically very precarious for the president. And I think Joe Biden will continue to get stronger there. Incidentally, one quick one quick note, not just Wisconsin before we get to the Florida, the good stuff. If you overlaid, because we do, all of the counties in the country that are spiking up over the national average for COVID infections, it's virtually identical to Donald Trump's roadmap to 270. It's kind of frightening. It's like the deep south up into the Midwest, Great Lakes, Rust Belt, and then the Mountain West are all ready to just like kindling, just going up with COVID. And those are all Donald Trump's red states. Let's go to Florida. And we're going to take some time to really focus on this state, um, not just because of the timing, uh, because they've been sending out absentee ballots for over a week, but but also because of how crucial it's going to be on election night and and the morning after, uh, which we've talked about a couple of times before. Mike, we'll probably get into that a little bit today uh, to remind our listeners. But Rick, why don't you set the stage here by talking about what the demographics and trends are in Florida going into this conversation? Well, look, Florida has about 15 million voters, 15 million eligible voters. Um, and the big thing that we're watching in Florida, as we do in most elections, is that it is the ultimate tie ball game state. It is a place where we have had more statewide elections that have been decided by fewer than 150,000 votes in a voter pool with 15 million people um, than you can shake a stick at. I mean, home of, of course, the famous 2000 presidential, but also, you know, Donald Trump did not win Florida uh, by, he, by about, he won by Florida by about 150,000 votes. Um, Rick Scott just won Florida by about a hundred thousand votes. It's always going to be close. It's one of the most evenly divided and freaky states in the country. Um, so we're looking at three big demographic groups in Florida that are going to make a big difference in how we do our communications. First off, about eight percent of the state voter pool are Cuban, but about twenty percent of the whole Florida voter pool are Latino. So, so call that a third uh, who are Cuban. They are very pro-Trump as a rule. They're they're almost entirely clustered in two counties or three counties, uh, Broward, Dade, and Hillsborough, 
are the three Cuban Cuban voter clusters. They do tend to lead very Republican down in, in South Florida, slightly less so in the Tampa Hillsborough market. Um, the other two thirds of the electorate, though, are very Democratic or largely Democratic. About a million Puerto Ricans have moved to Florida. And that is a number of people have not yet fully internalized um, about how much they're going to count in this election. And the number that we're looking for uh, that are registered voters are going to end up being, uh, we're looking at a pool of about 200 and some odd thousand that are likely registered voters that are in the areas we want to get to. Um, and they have a low registration percentage, unfortunately, because a lot of them came from the island where elections for president were not really uh, a, a big deal. Elections uh, for presidents who throw paper towels at them? Exactly. Exactly. But what's happened is this Puerto Rican population between uh, since 2000, the Puerto Rican population has grown by 76%, which is crazy. They will surpass Cubans as the largest Latino population in the state uh, probably this year or next. And, and we'll see what the census shows. Um, but it is certainly a fast growing population. It is a population we are definitely targeting. Um, they're geographically fairly compact in that Orlando metro area. So we're really talking to them, and it has moved the states. The state's Hispanic culture and political center of gravity has has it's been sliding north for years now, out of Miami and up to Orlando. So we're going to be talking to a lot of those folks. Um, there's a big Venezuelan population uh, in Florida, a couple hundred thousand of them now. They are very passionate uh, for Donald Trump. Just honest answer. They. They buy in. They're very, very current on fear of the word socialism for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. There's not a huge voting pool there. It's a, it's like forty four thousand. If I were saw the last number I saw, um, there are like, actually a lot more Colombians in Florida um, right. who are gettable than there are uh, Venezuelans so far. Right. So, and then there's cats and dogs, other populations. You know, Dominicans, Nicaraguans. Uh, there's a there's there's Haitian. Um, and so that Hispanic demographic writ large, that, that right. Latino vote writ large in Florida is going to be a big play this year. We right. are working very hard with the Puerto Rican voters in the Orlando Metro to, to convince them and move them over. Right. Um, the population of the state is aging as you would imagine mm -hmm. it being Florida. And, and if you look at the registration stats, it's interesting because on the one hand, it looks like, you know, seniors make up about 16, 17% of the population in the registration pool, but that's over 70. So if you add up 50, 50 and over, you are looking at almost 50% of the voter, the likely voter pool, which is why in the great state of Florida, we will be talking about COVID. We will be talking about COVID a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so as you mentioned, you know, Florida right now is experiencing a very high coronavirus infection rate and the death rate is also quite high also because the the population is such aging and beyond the human toll there's been a significant economic impact in Florida um including like a 25% drop in small businesses since January um and last week there was nearly a 55% decrease in travel and tourism uh businesses compared to the same week last year um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, how coronavirus specifically, since we're going to talk about that a lot, um, 
it shapes who voters in Florida will vote for. And I think we should come back to the, the Latino Hispanic populations um, separately. But let's talk about COVID for a minute here. Well, F- Florida is a state that where the economy is built almost entirely on tourist revenue. Uh, we don't have an income tax in Florida. Property taxes are fairly moderate. Um, Florida has millions and millions and millions and millions of visitors every year coming in primarily to the Orlando airport um, where they spend um, $20 billion on hotels and rental cars and resorts and food and entertainment. And the state depends on that rev in a profound way. Well, Universal is largely shut down. Disney is largely shut down. Disney let go of 23,000 employees this week. Um, we are seeing an enormous impact um, in, the, in the general economy uh, that, that is, you can't plan for it if you're a state that depends on tourism. Nothing. This is the ultimate externality. Um, the shipping into the port of Miami, another major driver, and banking and commerce in, in, in South Florida, another major driver is down about 40 to 50%. Yeah. Um, so the state is looking at a budget hole um, close to $7 billion. Now, I can tell you the Florida legislature, Jesus. Um, and these are people that, I, that, that, I've, that I've helped elect many, over many years. I know a lot of still currently seated Florida legislators who are still living in a dream world. Mm-hmm. I had one day the other day say to me, well, I'm going to propose a big tax cut. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? So how will you, now? Be, how will you be keeping the lights on? Yeah. Yeah. Because there is no cash and, and we've burned through the rainy day fund. Right. Uh, we have absolutely, I mean, it's gone. It, we, they, they went through it in about four months. Wow. Um, Ron DeSantis has reopened the economy aggressively in order to help Donald Trump. Yeah. And we are seeing right now, you know, Dr. Fauci said today, he goes, this is a state on the doorway to hell. It is, it is oh the worst state, worst state in the country. And look, Florida is the third largest state in America. Our economy is enormously important to the country overall. And, you know, when, when the national economy gets a cold, Florida gets pneumonia. And when the Florida economy goes down the, the tubes like this, um, what are the impacts? Well, one of the impacts we're about to see in Florida is an enormous wave since DeSantis has lifted the ban on foreclosures, enormous wave of foreclosures and evictions that will be hitting right around the 1st of November. Good timing. Um, and, 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 in, and in Florida, people are not the most thrifty. They don't, they live fairly paycheck to paycheck. Um, younger, younger folks in particular. Um, but so do many older folks who have moved to Florida for the inexpensive housing and the, and the good weather and the low taxes. Well, they're going to end up, you know, as as the stock market is is has started to get shaky, as the economy is shaky, they're going to all this, this this state is going to experience a whole merge of very unfortunate events in a very narrow window here in the next three to four weeks, and a COVID spike, uh, a continued economic crash. The schools, all all the universities that reopened are about to close because all the kids are in pools and running around together and having parties, and of course, what happens then? COVID. So. I think what we're going to see, the normally close election in the state, you know, uh, seniors are fading away. And Mike can speak at this at much greater length than I can. Seniors are breaking away from the uh, from the Trump world. The COVID has affected them dramatically. They don't think that they're going to see their grandkids again. They think they're going to die alone uh, because 
it's happening a lot in the state of Florida right now, and it is tragic. Um, and we think that we're going to see some 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 real break in that number. Um, and and if Florida goes as it usually does, you will see north of I four, you know, a very very red state. Um, north of I four is basically Alabama, um, but in the Tampa and Orlando metros, which are vital, the big vital center, the famous, you know, I four corridor arcing all the way up to Jacksonville, which is a formerly very red area, which has trended in the last year, much more purple. Um, you're going to see enormous turnout in South Florida. And, and if the Obama campaign can get black turnout where it needs to be, black voters represent about 13, 13.4% of the population in Florida, if I recall correctly, though the voting age population. If they can get that number up, when Hillary, it, it slipped badly for Hillary. If they can get that number up and we can help split off a fraction of the Cuban vote, a fraction of the of the Puerto Rican vote, if we can do some work peeling back veterans, which we think is a very, very rich target set in Florida, and and some work pulling off 3 to 4% of the senior vote, right. that's the ball game. And, uh, right. and, and Joe Biden can win the state by 350 to 500,000 votes. Right. Earlier on, Mike, uh, we had talked a lot about watching the upcoming wave of evictions when the eviction ban seemed like it was going to go away. And then they reinstated that. And I'm, I'm actually not super clear on where that stands right now, given the impending economic uh, crash in Florida and whether or not there's any sort of um, legal protection for those, because that would severely impact mail-in ballots uh, among disadvantaged communities and minority communities that we're talking about reaching. So what does that look like right now, Rick? DeSantis has withdrawn the uh, eviction protections in the state of Florida. Oh. And yes, he has officially withdrawn those. Wow. So we are about to see a, look, he is, he has said, he's even at the point now where he said, (sighs) if restaurants want to stay open at a lower than normal volume, they have to justify it to the state of Florida. Mike's shaking his head and shrugging his shoulders and closing his eyes. And this is just like that. Okay, so it's we so blatantly so, political. So it's so blatantly political, but we should be clear yeah. about what this means for our listeners because when you when you roll back these protections for people who are at risk of being evicted from their homes because they can't pay their bills because COVID has ruined their lives, you now take away the address where their ballots will be yep. mailed and they and and it is unlikely that they will be able to receive that ballot in time at a new address because of the disruption to their daily lives. That's so, correct. So this has a this actually has a a massive electoral implication that I that I think we should talk about. So I, you know I didn't I didn't know that Rick and now Mike I'm wondering if you want to just while we're on this topic specifically and we're going to go into some other things in a minute. But how are you thinking about that impacting the the vote itself in Florida? <laughs> Jesus, you know, look I, I'm. We should talk about the raw numbers. I don't. I don't know what those raw numbers are, but the timing is pretty darn coincidental, isn't it? It's going to hit on November the first. Amazing. I know. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking. (laughs) Um, Look, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of voters, okay? And you could talk about a demographic that is going to overwhelmingly screw, skew. Excuse me, but screw also Democratic (laughs) voters because of the type of people involved in the workforce, right? As as Rick very aptly described, this is a tourism-based economy. 
tourism has gotten destroyed in the in the in the COVID era. Okay, right. just destroyed. Right. These are these are you know overwhelmingly Latinos, African Americans, younger folks, people who all skew uh, towards the Democratic Party. So the fact that he would peel those off, those protections at a time when the economy is completely wiped out, mm-hmm. at a time when there's a spreading virus that's deadly. Um, it's it's beyond the pale, but again, in the Trump era, you just kind of have to just shake your head and, and keep marching on. But look, there's no question this could have a very, very serious impact in the way that you're seeing naked ballots to the tune of six-figure voters, hundreds of thousands of voters in states like Florida and Pennsylvania. Yeah. I want to throw one thing in here. I have a contact in Florida who just sent me the uh, initial results of the Florida Chamber of Commerce poll, which generally a pretty good poll, uh, they have Biden up five among likelies, and their model is usually pretty wow. good. Wow! 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 I'm going to get more from him here shortly. Okay, but um, that but, that is a uh, yeah that that combined with the thing that Mike and I saw the other day, where Joe Biden is getting 16 percent of Republican voters in Hillsborough County. Yeah, yeah, big swing county. Um, that is a big damn deal. So is it fair to say that when we're looking at polls like that, which are, which are obviously encouraging that, that they may or may not take into consideration information like what we just discussed with people actually not logistically being able to cast their ballots? Well, there's only so much you can model for that. Sure. Okay. So, right. so, um, and again, it's good to, to know, and Rick's obviously familiar with the chambers, uh, polling yeah. and their methodology. So you, you take it for what it's worth. It's an A plus poll. It's an A plus poll. Yeah. You run with it. Right. Um, there are going to be some of these variables, Pennsylvania too. We don't know. We don't, yeah. we're not taking into account the naked ballot problem. Right. We can make, um, you know, we can prognosticate, we can guess, we can make assumptions. Yeah. And remember, polls give us percentages of votes. They don't give us raw right. votes totals. Right, right. So so they are a little bit different. Yeah. This is good news, though. What Rick is saying is good news. And look, he really described Florida extremely well. Not not that I would expect anything less. Yeah. Rick, one, Rick Wilson, <laughs> and two, a Floridian. But here's one of the really funny things about Florida. And there's a lot of funny things, right, Rick, about Florida. And that is... The reason why this is in within striking range of both candidates is because, as Rick correctly pointed out, Joe Biden is getting a disproportionate, not a huge share, but enough of a share of what has reliably been a Republican vote. He's like at a plus seven, plus eight with Republicans, depending, could go a little higher, a little bit lower. But he's also doing remarkably well with voters 65 and up, senior citizens. This has been the core base of Republicanism. Um, everywhere nationwide, but especially in Florida. Conversely, Trump, as Rick said correctly, is getting a disproportionate share, not subs, not huge, but right. enough to to measure of Hispanic voters of Cubans specifically. Right. So you've got both candidates eating into each other's base, which has the effect of keeping it as competitive as Florida normally right. is. Right? Right. right. If both of them were just getting their own bases back, right. it would the race would be literally in the same exact position. Yeah, that's right. They just happen to be eating three or four percent right. of each other's base vote. The question and one of the determining factors, I think, as Rick pointed out, is going to be who's going to get or who's going to hold on to each other's base long enough right. to get this thing over the, the end zone. Yeah. And there are more seniors. There are more white seniors than there are Latino Hispanic voters, right. which is, you know, benefits Biden. Right. You have what's in all likelihood going to be another COVID spike because of the policies that they're implementing to save the economy that benefits Biden. Right. Um, and we also, I believe have a very op- a good opportunity to not bring the Hispanic vote completely back and correct for it, but perhaps enough. Right. So if I'm looking at this environment in the next 30 days, 
and saying, who's got a better chance of bringing the base back? Does Biden have a better chance of bringing Hispanics back into the historical range? Or does uh, Trump have the opportunity to bring back senior citizens right. who are in the middle of right. a COVID pandemic right. in the historic range? My money's on Biden. I think that poll is right. probably very, very accurate. Right. So so essentially, to, to put to put this in, in political terminology, which one of those two cross pressures is going to be more durable on the opposite party's voter base. That's exactly right? what will determine the outcome of the race. Yeah. Okay. So we have done this bit before, but I want to, since we're talking so much about Florida right now, let's let's do it again for our listeners and remind them what they're going to see on election night and why it, why it matters in Florida. Can you help us understand how important a state like Florida is going to be when we expect to have 90% of the ballots counted on election night and, and also talk a bit about, actually, Mike, why don't you do that first? And then Rick, I want to ask you about how votes are counted and processed in Florida after he's done. Okay. Go ahead. So Florida, let me talk generically about how this happens. Then we'll talk more specifically about Florida. So yeah. again, record 27 states have said they're going to expand vote by mail because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're trying to accommodate as many voters as we can while also protecting health and you know, public safety concerns. So a lot of states do not have as robust of a system to pre- and are prepared to handle this as Florida does. Florida's got some experience in doing this. Florida is also a little bit unique in that it's going to actually begin processing and counting, correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, on October 20, the 4th. So what happens on October 24th is the counties actually start to get ahead of the vote count. And it does fortunately give us an East Coast state with a, an early total that is extremely accurate. You're not mm-hmm. going to have a multi-week count like some of these you know, uh, other uh, um, states in the Mid-Atlantic or up in the Rust Belt. Florida should have a very... A very accurate count, barring any other problems, mm-hmm. right? As earlier, because they allow the county government centers to count beginning on October 24th. Mm-hmm. And so immediately within the first few hours, they will already have a huge advantage over most other states because so many of the mailed-in ballots will already be counted. Got it. Now, this is different from other states, for example, in the Rust Belt, Michigan, yes. Pennsylvania, Correct. Wisconsin, where- all of those mail-in ballots are essentially going to sit in a secure location Correct. until election night when they will be counted, which means it's going to take those the counters a whole lot longer to count them, which is why we're going to have a delayed count coming out of some of those really crucial states. But in Florida, because of this rule, and probably as Rick's going to tell us in a minute, because they've been doing it for a long time, we're going to have... Uh, we're going to have an, a more accurate count. It'll be sort of like a bellwether for what those other swing states will be. Not only a bellwether, but it also, we've talked about this a lot at the Lincoln Project. It also, if we get Biden into a strong winning position early, mm-hmm. it could limit the amount of unrest right. and lo- right. lack of awareness. And frankly, the chaos that could be created in other states. Because if Biden wins, there's a 98% chance if Biden, Joe Biden wins Florida, there's a 98% chance that he will win the presidency. So, okay, Rick, now let's go to, let's, let's dive into the process a little bit in Florida. Um, because, right. we, because I think, I think this part is going to be, uh, everything everybody's going to be talking about on election night. So let's give right. them a preview. <laughs> um, <laughs> how practiced is Florida at processing and counting absentee ballots and 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 walk us through what that looks like and why is it going to be an accurate count on, on election night, most likely? Sure. Okay, Florida has, after the 2000 debacle, mm-hmm. um, 
invested an awful lot at the state and county level in ensuring that our ballots get counted. As Mike said, at 22 days before election day, they start verifying signatures and they start counting. And so you will start to see uh, the, the, the early voting reports rolling out of those counties. Those trend lines will start being very clear. Those things will be validated on election day. They're, they're already, those are certified votes by the time election day rolls around. Um, they've had their signature envelopes checked. They've been checked into the system. They've been tabulated. They've been verified. On election day, um, most counties uh, are pretty technologically sophisticated now. And the reality is that Florida, uh, three counties are almost 50% of the population. Uh, 10 counties are wow. about 78% of the population. The only re- weird trickery in the thing is that um, about 23% of Florida's voters are in the central time zone. Whoa. And so there's a little bit of a bounce at the end of the, of the oh. night that will show a red surge. Okay. 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 So that's that's yeah. that's Escambia, Walton, right. Santa Pensacola? Rosa, Bay, uh, you know, all those pen, all those panhandle counties which are very deep red right so you'll see a little bit of a bounce but it's going to add up very quickly you're going to see by 10 p.m on election night um we're going to know where 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 the land where the line is at by 10 p.m on election night okay um the in-person voting in florida has been shrunk somewhat the early voting uh uh areas have been uh, or locations have been shrunk somewhat uh, partly for COVID reasons, partly for you know the governor and the, and Republicans in certain counties screwing around with it, um, but it is going to be a you know look Florida is actually very good at running elections, yeah, uh, and very accurate and quick at running elections. I mean, after two thousand, they have no excuse not to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and and look in twenty eighteen, you knew everything with the governors, the senators. Uh, that congressional races by nine, nine twenty, nine forty at night. Yeah. Um, even with the panhandle. Yeah. So that early vote count in Florida is going to be enormous. Florida is a very friendly state. It's no excuse absentee voting, which is to say mail-in balloting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's early voting throughout the state uh, for the two weeks before. Um, and so, you know, we're going to have a very clear picture and you know the a lot of the absentee reports we're getting out of Florida so far look quite good for Biden. Mm-hmm. The Trump campaign is gambling um, that they're going to have a massive election day turnout. And I have to say, and nobody's gamed this out enough yet. That their their predicate was our voters aren't afraid of COVID. They will come out. Mm. Our voters have no fear of COVID. They're going to come out and vote. No matter what for Donald Trump. Interesting. Now that was an easy argument to make before Donald Trump. Right. That's right. What is that disease? Oh yes. COVID. (laughs) Speaking of durable Uh, cross pressures. (laughs) 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 Right. Look, the one thing you should, we, we have to be alert to in Florida. And the reason we want it to not be a close night is a lot of the people that I know from my time in the Republican world in Florida and guys that Steve and Reed know as well, um, they've all been put together by the Trump campaign and by Governor DeSantis mm-hmm. um, because they have a break glass plan in Florida. Yeah, and if it's close, and I don't know what their internal number is, if it's a close night, if it's 150,000 votes again, they're going to go to the mattresses, they're going to blow everything up, mm. and they're going to tr- say, "Well, the legislature has to come back in session and replace the electors yep. with a new slate." Yep. 
of yeah. Trump-friendly electors. Yeah. About a week ago, a reporter asked Ron DeSantis about this. He got very upset, called called me and the LP grifters, but mm. didn't answer the question. And didn't ask didn't, the question he, about – They asked if he was going to bring the legislature in to replace the, 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 um, the electors if Trump looked like he was losing. And he Whoa. got very, very nervous and Whoa. walked off stage. Whoa. And I have to just say – Ron DeSantis is not covering himself in glory in the handling of the COVID affair. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he's got, he's surrounded by a group of consultants who are absolutely convinced he is the next wave of Trumpism. Yeah. Yeah. He's cleaner. He's smarter. He's not going to say stupid yeah. things. He's going to roll in. It's going to be a miracle. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And I we don't sh- think, yeah, I don't think that's the case because he is a massive screw up. And if he becomes part of a global electoral fraud, yeah, I think it's a really ugly way yeah. to go out. Yeah, and we should be clear about this for our listeners because that is essentially the nightmare scenario that was laid out in that article in The Atlantic um, a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, which is the prospect of state legislatures, which thanks to an opinion in the 2000 uh, you know, Bush v. Gore litigation that ended up in the Supreme Court, in that opinion is written uh, something along the lines of individual voters do not have essentially a, a, a permanent right. right to decide who the electors for their state will be. And those electors, so everyone's clear, are referring to electors in the electoral college, meaning where is, are your state's electoral votes going to go? Individual voters don't have a right to, to decide by popular vote where those electors go. The legislatures have the authority to step in and decide where those go in the event of a contested election. And and so this is why this is why you're hearing all of the delegitimizing rhetoric out of the Trump campaign because mm-hmm. they're they're priming for that option. And we're not saying that they're going to pursue that option, but as, as Rick, you just mentioned, um, it is very much on the table and and given that they're not willing to um to answer the question, DeSantis is not willing to answer the question, it should signal to everyone that um that they're serious. And, uh, and the, and the thing that is concerning to me, and maybe we'll do a separate episode with some election attorneys, which would be interesting to talk about this is that precedent would not just apply if this were done, it would not just apply to the 2020 vote. This would be right. a precedent that is set in legislatures, multiple legislatures that, that, that they could do this for future elections. And that really is a terrifying thought. Um, it, it is a, it is a huge uh, affront and violation to our small D democratic yeah. principles. Yeah. And it is, it is something that, that I think that our listeners and our, our supporters in the Lincoln project, look, we're going to all fight this battle together. To yes. defeat Donald Trump. Yes. But there may be a moment on election night when we call upon you to take even broader and stronger action. We may, we may be contesting this in court, in the streets, in in, in 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 special elections, in emergency elections, this may not be over until it's over. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.